Hi there, everyone. On today's episode, we're going to get into coaching concepts and some systems, and we're going to talk about it with one of our favorite people. That's coming up in just one moment on Locked On Canadian. Your Locked On Canadians, your daily podcast on the Montreal Canadiens, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 568 of Locked On Canadians. My name is Laura Sabah, also known as The Active Stick, and my co-host is still sidelined with COVID. So we have a special guest, one of our good friends from the Have Statistician podcast, which is available wherever you get your podcast. Our friend Dylan Waugh is here. Hi, Dylan. How are you doing? I'm very well. How are you, Laura? I'm doing well, and I'm very excited because you put in a lot of effort to look professional for the YouTube. So for those of you who are used to listening to us on podcast format, uh, we've been on YouTube for a little over a month now. Our subscribership is growing, and once we hit 500 subscribers, I have to eat something really gross on video and post it on our YouTube channel. So check us out on YouTube. Uh, in the meantime, the reason that we invited Dylan is that we've been meaning to talk to him for quite some time, and with the coaching change and stuff, we thought it would be somebody. It would be great to have somebody who deals with data concepts who also formerly played hockey to talk a little bit about some of the changes that we've seen with the coaching change um and but first what i want to ask you about is a couple of the latest episodes that you think people should check out in case they missed them obviously if you listen to us you should listen to the habstatician um and i i just caught up i listened to today's episode with official favorite person of the podcast mark jumeau um and uh, and that was a great episode it was super fun uh so what other things have you been talking about have you been covering the last time uh we were gonna bring you on um i can't remember i think it was when when the front office staff got fired you were talking about Caden Primo not being all that great and what we were worried about and all of that. So we're going to table that for an off-season discussion and we're going to talk about the now. Yeah, Scott and I have sort of an ongoing joke uh, in the Eyes on the Prize group chat about Caden Primo. Anytime that he makes a good save, Scott goes, you know, ping Dylan and, you know, <laughs> bask in my glory, you know, because, I, yeah, I'm, I'm still not a big believer in Caden Primo. He did have an excellent game where I wrote an article about it and, you know, but uh, yeah, yeah. Mark Dumont was on my last episode. Always great to catch up with Mark. And you know what? The worst part is, Laura, is I got to agree with you. You said he's the favorite person on my podcast. He's my favorite person on my podcast as well. <laughs> <laughs> that might have more to do with um, my own self-esteem issues. But <laughs> we, Mark and I, you know, we talked a lot about the mental game, about the grind and, and playing in Montreal this year and stuff like that. And, of course, Mark works for the team. And it was just, uh, it's just an excellent conversation, but I, I do appreciate that you, that you have me on and I do appreciate that you want to go through a few numbers, you know, like it, it's, uh, it's like the old joke that I came up with five minutes ago. What do you get when you cross a statistician with a hockey player? Someone who loves numbers, but vehemently denies their usefulness. <laughs> I love it. So, okay, real quick, uh, I did forget to mention off the top that uh, Dylan also writes for Habs Eyes on the Prize. It started in the playoff run last year, um, and he's been around, and he writes, like, really insightful, detailed articles. Again, like, he's focused a lot on data and numbers, uh, but he presents them in such a way that's easy for people to understand. I know, like, on this podcast, sometimes we get um, we get into numbers and things like that, but really, if you want an in-depth look, you really, really should check out Dylan's work. Um, and Dylan is a former goalie, if I'm not mistaken, right? Right? Current. The dream is still alive, baby. <laughs> <laughs> the Canadian 
should call you all their all their goaltenders are injured right now <laughs> yeah I, I i tendered my application to mark dumont to be their goaltending coach um <laughs> i do also coach goaltending so if you're in the toronto area and, and you're looking for a goalie coach uh you can look up the school that i'm with uh, the goalie school and it's um it's just a fantastic we're not super dogmatic about how we coach just you know kind of and here's the segue i've got for you we're kind of more about um not systems but rather concepts <laughs> all right so one of the things that we want to talk about with dylan uh is a little bit about the differences between uh the dominique ducharme system and the uh martin saint louis like he's not listening to this podcast so i'm just going to call him call it systems that's like i i feel like <laughs> We need to kind of talk about what does he mean by concepts? What exactly is it that he's trying to implement? We've already seen the on-ice results are different. Uh, so maybe just before we go into the details, we've got a little bit of time left in this segment. Like, what do you think is the main difference between systems and concepts? Because the way he describes it to me is just like, they're both a set of, a set of uh, I guess, guidelines that hockey players should abide by and get better at. Yeah. I mean, you're not entirely wrong like you're you're right they are both a set of guidelines it's sort of an argument in semantics but i think it was on 32 thoughts or i guess back then it was 31 thoughts or you know i could have done really well in the original six era because i could i can string together six thoughts normally is about um my mac but uh on 31 thoughts they talked about how um different scouts had mentioned that there are tons of people with nhl shots and nhl skating an NHL um, stick handling, and it, but very few people had an NHLer's brain, so to speak, right? And and it was the ability to put all that together and to be able to, to think the game at that pace. And you know, sure enough, this is just a little anecdote. Like you know, I was messing around with some buddies. We rented some ice, and one of them brought out a radar gun, and they took slap shot competitions. One of them played in the AHL. One of them played in the OHL. The guy that played in the OHL is currently three hundred and fifty pounds an auto body repairman and he can like he can rip a shot he cracked my helmet right as a goalie once but so we brought out the radar guns we're taking the shots the guy who had the hardest shot in the group never played past house league wow but he was also like so and by the way it was a hard shot it's about 130 kilometers an hour is what we is what we uh, measured it at and so the point is, is that if you make the NHL and it's largely based on your intelligence, right? It's the number one thing that you hear. Nick Suzuki's an intelligent player. Cole Caulfield's an intelligent player. Jeff Petrie's an intelligent player. These are people that know how to do stuff. If, if you if you make the NHL based on your intelligence and it's not to rip on Ducharme too much, which I guess we'll get into in the next segment, <laughs> ripping on Ducharme, but it's trust in that intelligence trust in those players and their ability to make those decisions i think that's such a great place to sort of spring into our next topic and that's happening in literally just one second but first if you've listened to this podcast or any locked on podcast you will know that we love built bar built bar is a protein bar that tastes just like a candy bar they've been one of our longtime sponsors and we keep ordering built bar because we love them they've got 18 delicious regular flavors and they're all 
high in protein, low in sugar, and they're all made with real chocolate. They provide a lot of energy and they often have special occasion flavors. Like right now, there's a shamrock flavor that I really think you, sh you should check out. You can do that by going to built.com and entering our promo code LOCKED15 and you'll get 15% off your order. And like I said, like these bars, I live with them. I wake up in the morning. I usually don't feel like eating breakfast, but I've got a really, really stressful job. So I need my energy. I will use them for breakfast. Scott and his girlfriend go on hikes all the time. They will bring built bars with them. They do give you that energy and they taste like a treat. And so you're going to go to built.com and enter promo code LOCKED15 if you want to be like us and you want to try those high protein, delicious, delicious built bars. All right, Dylan, we started talking a little bit about Ducharme and I want to be too careful because we don't want to rip somebody too hard, no, but yeah. I think we can all agree that the Dominique Ducharme, even though he had so much success leading up to the NHL level, in the NHL level, it left a lot to be desired. Like there were a lot of issues there that right now uh, are becoming more and more apparent just because of the sheer difference with Martin St. Louis in place. But I also wonder, uh, you know, is some of it psychological? Is all of it skills-based? Is all of it strategy-based? So let's dive into a little bit of detail with uh, the differences and, and your thoughts. I mean, it's been an exciting time to be a Habs fan again. It's been a very exciting time to be a Habs fan again. Um, and not just because your your previous uh, guest host, Ian, started a podcast. But <laughs> um, here's the thing, right? Mark Dumont on, on my podcast kept on saying that it's becoming fun again, that hockey is becoming fun again. And I'm remembering when Ryan O'Reilly left uh, the Buffalo Sabres for the St. Louis Blues, um, well, demanded a trade and whatever. We know the situation. But he said that hockey finally became fun again for him and he re rediscovered his love of the game. I think I don't know if Martin St. Louis is the long-term coaching solution here. There's been a huge bump in numbers. We went from like under Dominic Ducharme this year, a 43% five on five Corsi four to over a 49% with Martin St. Louis. It's still not good, <laughs> but it's like, it's the difference between the, being the 27th worst team in the league and the 16th worst team in the league, which is kind of middle of the pack. Right. But I think that Martin St. Louis, whether he sticks around as coach or not, he's creating a culture and an atmosphere here that players want to play in, right? The immortal Groucho Marx once said, I wouldn't want to be involved in any club that would have me as a member. <laughs> Doesn't that just describe the free agency in Montreal for the last five years? Absolutely. Absolutely. And you bring up a good point because Vinny LeCavalier in his introductory press conference with the Habs or the Zoom conference, he said that, you know, one of the things that attracts players to a team uh, is a coach. Like, unfortunately for him, like he was really attracted to the Flyers because of Peter Laviolette. And then he started playing there. And then I think it was like four games later, six games into the season. I remember because I was in Philadelphia and like the game that they lost, he got fired the next day, but it was a very, very short tenure in, in, in Philadelphia. And so, you know, he talked about how upset he was and he did mention a lot of emphasis for players. They like to choose teams based on the kind of coach they'll have. There's also a whole lot of other factors in play, right? Like, will their family like the city, all of that kind of stuff. Taxes is always brought up. Uh, although I have to say with Kent Hughes as an, as an agent, he, I'm, I'm sure he knows how to structure a contract uh, to minimize the taxes, but, yeah. but 
the, you know, like I think that 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 wanting to play for a certain coach is a huge attraction for players. So maybe let's elaborate on that a little bit, because I really love that you brought that point up because it's backed up by literally a professional NHL player with anecdotal evidence. Yeah, but I mean, even in more recent times, right? Like I live in Toronto, as you know, and like I've got friends that will literally just call me up to say, hey, remember that time that John Tavares didn't even grant you an interview as if it was me? As if it was like, you know, I was the one calling, hey, John, you know, you want to come to the Habs? Like, he's doing <laughs> he's like, no, I'm not coming to the city because, Dylan, you yourself live and work in this city. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, he came to Toronto. Like, maybe if I had a moved right. to Montreal, then he'd have gone to Montreal. But he's not even having a good year, so who cares? But the point that I'm trying <laughs> to make is, right, that so many high-profile players have not even granted Montreal an interview. And – it's not just the coach, right? You have to build the team. Even Mark Bergevin said you've got to build the kind of team that a, that a high-profile free agent wants to go to. And at that point, you can kind of take or leave a high-profile free agent. Like, if you build a good enough team, then, like, you know, yes, it helps, right? Yes, it was a big get when Toronto got John Tavares. And even, I know that it's not technically a free agent, although it was a free agent signing, when um, Tampa Bay re-signed Steven Stamkos, right? Right. He was technically a free agent for a couple of days, and so it was a free agent signing. But the point is, is that they built a system that somebody wanted to be involved in, and both of those guys left money on the table. Because, like, let's be honest here, right? Job satisfaction means something. And to your point about coaching, I don't want to pile on Dominic Ducharme. He seems like a perfectly nice guy. And I've said it before. Most NHL coaches seem to have a short, spectacular failure first stint in the NHL, and then they come back and they're different. You kind of have to have that slice of humble pie. And now the, the, the point about making it to the NHL, whether it's as a coach or a player, is you normally don't have that slice of humble pie. You're normally the best every level you get to. And then you see those players like the Nail Yakupovs of the world that get to the NHL and go, oh, everyone's good. I didn't see that coming <laughs> at all, right? And so I kind of feel like Ducharme, and you kind of brought this up on my podcast as well. When you, when you, that coaches often don't think it's their system, they think it's the players that are messing up their system. And so I kind of feel like he felt like he had something and he was kind of like a dog with a bone with it, like he just wouldn't let go of it. And that's just, a, that's just a hard lesson that people have to learn now and again. And, and it would not, Shock me if he never gets an NHL job again, but it also wouldn't shock me if he does get an NHL job and it quits himself. And does better? Yeah. Why not? Right? I mean, obviously, this year was already a tough situation without Carey Price, Shea Weber, Paul Byron, right? Who's also kind of a, a heart and soul of the team. Clearly, Jeff Petrie was injured. I don't think that there's, I know that Petrie was also making brain farts, but there were several times where he lost um, skating races with guys, board battles that turned into, footwork battles and Petrie never loses those. So you got to think that there's something, an, an injury lingering there. Um, so obviously it wasn't an ideal situation for him, but Martin St. Louis, in terms of his idea of, of concepts, I love it. I just, I just love this idea that you turn around and say, Hey, Suzuki, the one word people have used to describe you throughout your entire career has been smart. So why don't we just, why don't we draw off of that, uh, that intelligence? 
I think it's a really, really interesting point that you bring up, and I'm excited to talk a little bit more about that, and that's coming up in just one moment. All right, so we're going to get into a little bit more detail. We were talking just before in our last segment about Nick Suzuki being a smart player and implementing concepts. So I'm really, really interested because when we were watching the introductory press conference with Martin Samen, we got asked a lot of questions. And uh, I feel like the media was trying to be tough on him a little bit uh, with the lack of uh, experience aspect. Obviously, he's somebody that they respect. And, and it wasn't like a hostile press conference in any way or anything like right. that. But he did get asked a lot about, like, what are you what are you doing here? Right. Like, you know, to be charitable, people were saying he coded he coached minor league hockey. And he was like, no, you can say it was Pee Wee and it was my kids. Right. Like he did, like he did admit there's a lot of things that he doesn't know, but he has ideas and he has philosophies. And so I'm really, really curious uh, about your thoughts on that, because I think it's a really interesting experiment. I like that the Canadians went off the board. Uh, we've talked before about how we would like a more diverse hiring pool, but this is an off the board, right? Like they didn't just hire somebody who's been a coach forever and failed in and out of the league, right? Like they hired yeah. somebody who literally had no experience because they liked the way he thought. Yeah, um, I just I just wanted to look it up really quickly. Nick Suzuki, by the way, pre-hiring of Martin St. Louis, had 1.23 points per 60 at five versus five. Post-Martin St. Louis hiring has 2.05. So he's scoring at 0.75, three quarters of a goal of a point more per 60 with Martin St. Louis. So I know it's it's wow jaw-dropping. Um, yeah, he uh, he coached. He coached minor peewee, right? I mean, I kind of tweeted a little bit tongue-in-cheek. I was like, my youngest goalie student seven years old, so, uh, you know, just <laughs> let me know where to send my resume, and, uh, you know, I'll be on my way to Montreal. And, uh, <laughs> but um, you're you're right, but this is the thing, is that – and I, I'm an Anglophone, right? And I'm from Toronto. I'm like both my parents were like in Montreal for three generations, you know, prior to this. So I kind of have roots there, but even that, and there are both Anglophones as well, but even as an Anglophone, I, I have no issue. And I understand um, the need to have a bilingual coach. I, I really do. And I think that that is an important thing that, that Anglophones need to come to grips with about the culture in the city. And of course, bilingualism, we're not saying just French, we're saying bilingualism, because Montreal, the, the bilingualism in that city is is so beautiful, right? Uh, you know, bonjour, hi, right? <laughs> so, the, the fact that there's such a small pool of bilingual coaches, the idea was with Ducharme and with Bouchard was um, that th these people could graduate up into the NHL. Now, Obviously, for two different, it didn't work out well, right? Ducharme had his chance, Bouchard left, right? But Martin St. Louis is an interim coach. Worst case scenario, he's fired at the end of the year. Best case scenario, it opens that door just a little bit more. I mean, what did you want? Ale Vigno again? Exactly. Because that kicks off the cycle. We're right back. Michel Therrien's available, I think. <laughs> I, you know what? I don't know if he got fired when Elaine Vigneault got fired or not. The other day we talked about him and I was like, I'm not even going to look that up. 
I don't want to think about it. <laughs> that was the old era, but it's exactly like you said. And I do want to like replug that episode that you had with Mark because you went in a little bit more on the on the jo Joel Bouchard thing. Um, I'm not going to spoil it for people, but go check it out. But uh, but that that's the thing is that yes, like there is a responsibility if you are a big team in a French market to grow the game in in Quebec, right? Like with your minor league affiliate or or um, you know with the ECHL affiliate. And there's all these coaches in the queue that the Canadian kind of uh, will bring into their system to kind of groom for the next generation of coaches. But that doesn't always work out. Sometimes somebody who's really good with players who are not good enough to make the NHL or are too young to make the NHL, like once you get to the NHL, once you get with established, successful uh, players, it's a whole different ball game. And it's exactly like you said, everyone else is good. So you have to coach against everyone else that's good as well. There's so many factors that can go into it. So, you know, you're not necessarily a bad person or a failure if you can't hack it in the NHL. It's just not the place for you. That's just not where your career should go. Uh, and so, you know, like for me, I think the fact that they were just like, this guy has literally zero professional head coaching experience. He's coached Pee Wee and his kids. Like his, you know what I mean? It was like, it, it feels to me very much like a, let's just go off the board. And if it goes wrong, it goes wrong. You know, we'll eat the crow. But if it goes right, let's let's start a trend. And I think one of the things that we like to talk about on this podcast is if you want to win today, you have to think faster and more forward than all the other teams. That's what the winners are doing. And then everybody's going to catch up. So you have to come up with newer and newer ideas. So this is one way where they exploited a market inefficiency. And I think they should keep doing that again. Like, you know, we don't know how this is going to work out. It could fail spectacularly. But I think at the end of the day, the direction changing in itself for now is something that has fan Habs fans really excited. I mean, let's be honest here. Every hire was off the board. Kent Hughes was off the board. Jeff Gorton, to a large extent, I would consider him off the board because I never thought I'd see a Boston boy brought into this organization. <laughs> <laughs> it had to be Boston of all places. But um, all, all the hirings were, uh, other than actually Jeff Gorton, as I was joking, but all the hirings were very much off the board. And I think that the bottom line is, is that there just has to be an acknowledgement that you don't do, you don't know everything and you don't know what you don't know. Right. And you have to have trust. Mark even talked about trust yesterday, but you have to have trust. Look, we're going through a global pandemic right now. Right. I hope, and I know that it's not always true, but I hope that it's not just our political leaders making decisions because they're not epidemiologists. I hope that they're listening to people that actually know, Right. right. And, and that's the same thing with an NHL franchise is that Jeff Gordon uh, and Kent Hughes, the best version of that job, in my opinion, is a mediator. The best the best version of a GM job in the NHL is somebody who sits in a room and listens to everybody yell and scream and passionately fight against each other and and says, OK, and, and takes in all that information and is able to suss that out. They don't have to necessarily know all of the information. I mean, not to rip on the old management too much, but the story was, and I know this is actually sort of a, a blight on the stats guys' uh, careers, but, you know, the story was that um, Montreal sat for uh, Mike Pfeffer, I think was him at the time, went into Mark Bergevin's office and said, with the Subban Weber trade, said, you can't do that. You can't trade these two guys. Okay. Turns out Bergevin was right. Weber's awesome. <laughs> I'll give you that. But at the same time, who was to know? There's a little bit of luck involved in that as well. But 
that shouldn't be the way that decisions are made. It shouldn't be, I've made a decision. This person's given me an argument to the, to the contrary of that decision. And then that person's fired. That's simply just no way to run any organization. And, and you've got to think that there's very few organizations in the world where that runs like that. Let's put it this way, okay? The CEO of Disney didn't start out as, uh, as a minion doll, okay? <laughs> this, the, the idea of, of, of a hockey player has to turn into a GM or something like that is, is nuts to me because in my world, goalie coaching, some of the best goalie coaches never made it to the NHL, and we need to look no further than Stefan Waite, who never made it to the NHL right? He was a fantastic goalie coach. He brought Carey Price to his highest levels of success and he never made it to the NHL. So it's, it's, it's great that we're going off the board and all it does is just opens things up further. And I hope that we continue to go off the board. I, I agree with that. And I think um, this is something that uh, Connor uh, McKenna, who, you know, from TSN 690, I used to work on a show with him on Sirius XM. And he used to say, um, you know, if I were the GM, I would acknowledge that I don't know the things, you know, I would, I would find who's the best capologist, who's the best analytics person, who's the best sports psychologist, who's the best this. And I will acknowledge that in the room, I know the least right? I have the least amount of prior expertise. So I think for me, um, that in itself is a smart thing to do is like to know that you Mm -hmm. don't know all the answers. And there's a humility involved, which I find, you know, you brought it up earlier is that like, you know, when you make it to the NHL, and you make it to that high level, you're, you're told you're the best, you're the best, you're the best, you're the best. So you don't have that adversity to learn from. You don't have that you know, like, and it, it really, there's a huge amount of humility involved when you want to run an organization this big with a lot of eyes and all of that. Like, you have to be confident in your decisions, but you also have to be confident that you've put the right people in place to give you the information that you yourself cannot immediately discern or glean. And I think that that to me is something that uh, Jeff Gordon was praised for. So I do like that aspect of it. Um, and there's a couple of other things that uh, we didn't really talk about it before that we were going to talk about this. But um, a couple of weeks ago, Eric Engels of Sportsnet had an interview with Jeff Gordon and um he was talking a lot about how when he came to the Canadians, he saw that the pandemic had really, really made things really rough for a lot of people. Like there, you know, there weren't enough people in certain positions, like where it comes to like things like nutrition and communication with players and players' families. And there's all kinds of aspects to running a successful team that don't just involve coaching. Like we talked a lot about coaching on this, um, on this episode, but I also kind of want to talk about management a little bit. We've got like a few minutes left. We've got, you know, three, four minutes left. I do think that, you know, smart management, you kind of have to recognize that you work for a team with deep pockets. So you got to spend a little bit of money and then, you know, you'll reap the rewards later. And you have to, you know, it's, it's one of the reasons that a, a, a player could get attracted to an organization is if the presentation is good. It's like, oh, you know what? I'll be happy here. I'll feel taken care of here. You know, I trust these people with my nutrition. I trust that when I go into the training room, the people who are trying to heal my injury know what they're doing, right? Like there's a whole bunch of stuff there where the Canadians, um, I think, uh, under Jeff Gorton will probably improve things. Like there's a reason why people always want to play for the New York Rangers. And it's not just to live in New York. Like, you know what I mean? Like that organization is known for certain things. Like we know it, 
as having an owner that screwed up the Knicks and is now in the process of screwing up the New York Rangers. But prior to that, Jeff Gordon was there. And and I think that, you know, like there's a lot of things that you can do. It's not just like people don't want to play in Montreal because of the pressure. I think that that is so simplistic. People don't want to play in Canada because of the taxes. It's so simplistic. I think there's so many things an organization can do. And it starts from the front office. Yeah, I mean, you bring up one of my sort of bugaboos, which is... Um... I can't believe I just said bugaboo. What am I, a <laughs> hundred? <laughs> I, I respect and appreciate that you're not swearing on the podcast, so I don't have to go and try and edit video, which I do not know how to do. <laughs> right. Um, so you brought up one of my, now bugaboo is the only word that's in my head, but you brought up one of my bugaboos, which is that, um, I, you know, when Sean Burke was named uh, head of the goaltending department, it's like, what in the Sam Hill is a goaltending department that only consists of Sean Burke, right? Like if I was to make a goaltending department, I I would have I, I would have a team. You're spending ten and a half million dollars a year on Carey Price. On one goalie. On one goalie, fourteen million dollars a year on two goalies. I like I, I've said it before. I would have a person like Maria Mountain who is a strength and conditioning coach, follow her. I think it, it's um, uh, goalies training or something like this. Anyways, you can just look up Maria Mountain. Strength and conditioning coach that specializes in goaltending is one of the top in the world. I would have her on the team. I would have uh, Pete Fry, who's worked with Carter Hart from when he was a kid, who's worked with Braden Holpe from when he was a kid, and who's worked with a lot of top goalies, and he's a sports psychologist. I'd have him on the team. I'd have uh, Brian McLaughlin, who's got two silver medals with the American team, who's coached the American men's uh, goaltenders, and therefore knows, because coaching goaltending in a national program is like, less about the technical aspect of it, but more how do you adapt the goalie and the way that the goalie moves to match the team's style. She's coached the American uh, goaltender. She's got, you know, just a, a huge resume. I'd have a whole department. That would be just for Carey Price. I'd have a whole new department for Jake Allen. I'd have no issues spending <laughs> Jeff Wilson's every last dollar he'd sink into this, right? <laughs> but to your point, I would have a specific conditioning coach for every player. And your whole job, you're making six figures a year, and your whole job is, you know Josh Anderson. You know Josh Anderson's body up, down, left, right, backwards, <laughs> forwards. And I'm sure that there would be a lot of people signing up for that position. But <laughs> I didn't want to get too into it. But, um, but this well, is anybody who knows this podcast knows we love Josh Anderson. So. <laughs> of course. No, but you're right. And if you're not going to do it for every single player, then at least work with the player's team. Right. Like in the off season, who's Josh Anderson training with work right. with that person. Yeah. Right. At least have your people like be in constant communication, open up that relationship, you know, I think, or per position, maybe, you know, like you're, you, maybe you have your skilled forwards, have a guy, maybe you're like, you know, your, your two way forwards have a guy, maybe your defenders have a guy like the, the defensive defensive, which I hope the Canadians don't stick to too much but you know what i mean right like you know your your support players have yeah. a guy and your superstar players have a guy like i you know like if if you don't want to spend all of jeff molson's money and only parts of jeff molson's money then yeah like you definitely you need more and and you need you need to, to take advantage of the fact that you are a team that makes money right because eventually right. you're going to get to the playoffs so just think about two rounds of playoffs or three rounds of playoffs how much that's going to make you know like all of those people you're going to earn their salary in one night for I a mean, home playoff game. 
the bottom line is how do you optimize, right? And if you look at um, look at Michael Bunting on the Leafs right now, what are the what are the odds that you know he wasn't able to really crack lineups on other teams, and all of a sudden he's like his fifty five year old rookie, and he's got uh, <laughs> like, what, he's got twenty goals or something like that this year already. Or something it's ridiculous. Close. But or maybe more actually. But my point is is that you've got to wonder: is that because they've got that excellent development program that they've been building in Toronto for a long time, or is it uh, Pixies and Magic? And I, I would I would argue the the, it's the guessing. former. <laughs> it's guessing, but it's but this guessing. is my point. Part of it is identifying people that other teams have not identified very well, but a huge part of that is creating that development system. And and I know for myself, um, working with uh, a strength and conditioning coach here in Toronto named uh, Asa Tam, uh, who's out of Fizzleed in Richmond Hill, he's just so, he's so knowledgeable. And it's just like, just, and, and he's always reading and always on the cutting edge of the next thing. He's He's been to, uh, you know, he did a four-year university program. He did, you know, two years internship with NCAA doing strength and conditioning coaches there. And and my point is that you got to have somebody like that for every player. And like, to your point, maybe you can group a couple together, but in an ideal situation, everybody's body is just so incredibly different. The fact of the matter is, is that Phil Kessel can not work out. And Phil Kessel does not need to lose weight because guess what? Phil Kessel has put up consistent goals in the NHL his whole career. And so to have a strength and conditioning coach that would be able to say, look, Phil, I know exactly what your body type needs. We've been working together for two, three years now, and I can help you just get that little extra out of it without putting any strain, without making it your, your games more difficult. That's the person the people I should say that we need uh, working on this team. And to your point, this is a this is a wealthy team. This is a team that is making money. This is not a team that Jeff Molson just owns for the prestige of having a team. This is a team that actually makes money. And so why wouldn't we um, be reinvesting that? Because guaranteed, if you said to Jeff Molson, okay, we're going to do a soft cap. You can spend $20 million over the salary cap next year. And the GM says to Jeff Molson, that $20 million will buy you a couple rounds of playoffs. If, you, if that's what you want, he'll say, do it every single right. time. Right. Exactly. And so then you say, well, $20 million doesn't buy another player because actually it is still a hard cap. But $20 million does make every one of your players 10% better. Maybe. That's like, no, but that's amazing. And you think about that and it's like, you're not talking about one year where you're going to make one round of playoffs or two rounds of playoffs. You're, you're building something where you're saying consistently, I'm going to be making you this postseason money, right? Think about all the jerseys that people are going to buy when one player has a resurgence or, you know, finds their game and all of a sudden is the one to watch. Like there's so much money involved. By the way, I looked up Michael Bunting stats and he has 20 goals and 25 assists. And he's a plus 18, which in Toronto, everybody's skilled and scores a lot of goals. And then until Jack Campbell melted, um, they were doing pretty okay. So yeah. um, I know I know we don't we don't have a lot of respect and love for plus minus. It doesn't really tell you a whole lot of stories. Uh, but yes, Michael Bunting is definitely a really good example. And I'm one of I think the few this is... stats guys I know that actually likes the plus minus. I don't understand why people throw away in 
information. Like, isn't that, I'm not saying that it's the be all and end all. And I'm not saying that it's as important as it's being built up for years and years. But if you look at it like this, you've got Corsi is here and it's the broadest scope of information because it's shot attempts. Then you've got Fenwick is just in there because it's unblocked shot attempts, right? Then you've got shots. Then you've got plus minus. Like, it just seems like, why wouldn't you have, and if all of those line up, then you've got an interesting piece of information. And if only two of those line up or whatever, then you, I just don't understand. You got to ask more questions. Why do people throw it out? It's just information. It's not mad at you. It's not evil. (laughs) It's just information people. No, see, here's here's why is because it doesn't always tell the whole story. Like a guy playing on Sidney Crosby's line can be an absolute piece of crap, but because he plays on Sidney Crosby's line, he's going to be plus whatever, right? So I think sure. it just it doesn't tell the whole story. That's the only that's the only but reason people disagree. Also, like I I just really hate when people uh, from other fan bases talk about Cole Caulfield's plus minus whenever we get excited about something (laughs) he did. So I have that Pavlovian response. Um, But yeah, so I want to thank you, Dylan. And I also want to plug my own appearance. That's going to be next week, right? On your on your podcast. Um, So check out uh, Habstatician wherever you get your podcast and you can also find Dylan's work on Habs eyes on the prize. We have like gone well over time. Otherwise we've talked more, but I really want to pick this conversation back up um, in uh, on our, on our episode together on your podcast, because I'm like really, really fascinated about this team building uh, conversation that we're having right now. So thank you so much. Uh, And where people can find you on Twitter, you have updated your Twitter handle. It is at underscore Dylan D Y L A N W A A U G H all stuck together. Um, And like I said, you can find his podcast anywhere. You can also find us anywhere you get your podcast and you can also subscribe on YouTube. You'll find me on Twitter at the Active Stick. You'll find my lovely sidelined co-host uh, on Twitter at Scott Matla. He's refusing to rest, so I've bullied him into not doing work. Um, and I and I really want to thank Dylan and Ian for stepping in for him. Uh, you'll find our podcast at LO underscore Canadians. You can email us at lockedoncanadians at gmail.com. And if you liked this podcast, please check out Locked On Fantasy Hockey wherever you get your podcasts.